Welcome to Doctorate, the podcast of PhD candidates in the humanities and the social sciences at the University of Vienna. This is the place for communication and discussion about issues surrounding us in the world of science. We address the what's, why's and how's of our work and invite researchers from different disciplines to explore topics and ideas they and we deeply care about. Welcome to the third episode of Doctorate. Today we're going to talk about science and communication and we have some beautiful guests with us today, Lonneke and Byung. Byung from uh, the sociology department here at the University of Vienna. He's doing a dissertation on citizen participation in urban renewal across the last 40 years. And he's looking at policy change and institutional evolution and how it impacts the lives of people. Welcome Byung. Hi, hello. Great to have you. And we also have Lonica Del Peu, who's doing a dissertation on tomb decoration in ancient Egypt and what they communicate to the general public. And you're at the Institute of Egyptology, also here at the University of Vienna. Welcome. Thank you. So today we're doing an episode on science communication. And we realized that science communication, it can mean a bunch of different things. It can mean uh, doing a publication in a journal. It can mean doing a conference. But it can also mean talking to your friends or beloved ones about what you're doing. But what do we think is science communication? What qualifies? And therefore, we want to like start this episode by having our guests tell us what they see as science communication, what they understand these two words to mean for them. Uh, Beyond, do you want to start? Yeah. So when I first started my uh, pre-doctoral position, uh, scientific communication for me, of course, was going to conferences, you know, while disseminating my research findings and so on. So really communication between different academics, uh, not only at pre-doctoral level, but at different levels. Uh, in the past four years, I started working in a project at the University of Vienna. And then the, my definition of scientific communication kind of changed because uh, my research and our team project involved a lot of uh, public communication mm. and also communication with policymakers. So By going into this, it was mainly just like science communication, it's a conference. That's where you go to that's, communicate your science. That was my first expectation. And also that was my first experience mm. um, that changed, as I just said, uh, over the course. Yeah, but that was predominantly communication at conferences. Right. What about you, Lonica? What's your understanding or what has been your understanding of science communication? What does that mean for you? I guess for me, it means explaining your research to academics, but also non-academics. I think part of why my field is so popular is because of all the mystery that is surrounded um, that surrounds ancient Egypt which right. I'm very grateful for of course but uh, I would you know explaining to people how it works and that there's more to it than just mysteries and mummies is is an important part of of work and of communicating it to to everyone right you both have been doing conferences for like a pretty long time I would say but young that you've sort of changed your view on what a conference means in a way. Could you talk a little bit about that? Uh, so when I first started visiting conferences, of course, my motivation and also expectation were about, you know, uh, getting scientific comments from uh, peers or uh, professors and so on. And over the years, uh, that changed a little bit because uh, there's a limit to how much uh, uh, comments and uh, inputs they can give uh, on my project or to me, uh, because uh, not everyone at the conference are from the same discipline. Uh, they're all doing different right, stuff. Right, and the more specialized you get, yeah. the fewer people can actually give you meaningful yeah. uh, commentary. 
So uh, I think what it is is that when I first started, it was more about oh, what can I learn, you know. But uh, I think it's also important to understand that people who are there are also there to learn from you, you know. Right, uh, goes both ways. Yeah. So uh, I think my perception of it changed a little bit, uh, and also that has to do with I've attended different types of conferences involving non-academics. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, it boils sort of down to what you want to do with the communication. So, yeah, in the beginning, it's more about getting feedback, and in the end, it's more about informing. Is that what you're saying, in a way? Um, not necessarily informing, you mm -hmm. know, uh, uh, but uh, as a student, as a pre-doctoral researcher, uh, my intention was, you know, what kind of comments can I get? What kind of, uh, what, how can I benefit from visiting these conferences? But the thing is, also, you need to be there to contribute so that people can learn from you, you know? Right. So the dynamics is a little bit different, I think. Um, yeah, and then and there's a change of a percep my perception about conferences. Uh, I think which is obvious uh, uh, when you are, um, you know, three-year, four-year, five-year pre-doc, you know, uh, and I, it needs to change because uh, your uh, uh, early career, that's your career. Yeah. So you can, you're not a student anymore, so you can go around conferences to expect to learn all the time. <laughs> Learning is great, you know. Learning is great. And also it's a great place to interact with uh, your peers. Uh, I've met some great people from conferences, and I, yeah, mm. so. Yeah. I mean, networking is like a part of communication, I think. And, you know, when you go to conferences, you can like uh, meet up at the coffee uh, thing, the table, and you can maybe even have beers afterwards and like have a lunch. <laughs> maybe. Or, you know, maybe. <laughs> who are we kidding? I don't know. <laughs> but for some of us, you know, who recently started, that hasn't been an opportunity because of COVID, right? So how do you feel that has changed like your science communication during times of pandemic? Because in one way, you still communicate the same words, but the interactions are different. Could you share a little bit about your experiences on that? I guess in Egyptology, we sort of torpedoed into the 21st century, which is really, really good. And I hope that people keep organizing things hybrid because it's much more inclusive mm. than organizing things where you have to travel in, in every kind of way, money-wise, uh, mobility-wise. Um, so uh, that's what I absolutely adore about the online conferences and the online media and uh, platforms where we can share our research. But to have that as your first conference experience, also to present the first time you're teaching or presenting on the, to be online, that's a little... A little sad, I, I think, a yeah. little disappointing, because the best part about conferences for me was to make new friends. Right. Yeah. Sure. Surely, like sharing your research <laughs> is very cool, and finding people who do different things. But that's only a small margin. I found, uh, like what you what you're saying, that in the end, it, it yeah, yeah, what you get from it. I think I also. Uh, uh, I'm sure every discipline had a little bit different experience, you know, uh, with this COVID. Uh, for us, I think I had two conferences during this pandemic. Mm. One, actually, uh, it happened uh, in person because uh, it was right before the second lockdown. Uh, and the one happened online because it was during the second lockdown. Mm. And uh, it was great, I think, uh, to be in person generally during this pandemic, uh, meet in person and share your research findings and, as you said, new, new, meet new people. The online experience for me was a little bit disappointing mm. uh, because the communication, the digital platform, there's always limit to it. Yes. Right. I think. I'm sure you're not alone in this. Yeah, yeah. People are sh more shy to ask questions and to go into discussion, I found. And uh, as being said, uh, digital platform is a very inclusive pl uh, method of communication participation. And then it's been it's being used in politics and other sorts of 
uh, communications. Uh, but I think for me, digital platform, there's a physical limit to it. And, um, you know, there wasn't, it was unfortunate that this platform limit, this type of platform limits more active engagement, active communication, which for me was a little bit minus. I mean, yeah, there's like a bonus to it. You get more uh, involvement, but it, you also lose this like, I, I guess like com communicative bandwidth and or interactive bandwidth. Um, but then again, you know, on social media, you have sort of the same thing. It's like it's a digital medium. And some say as like revolutionized the way we communicate science. Um, I know you, Lonica, you have organized a, a network of uh, Egyptologists yes. on Facebook, for instance. And that, I mean, can you tell me about a little bit about the... Your yeah. network. Yeah. yeah, sure. Yeah, I I realized how many nice Egyptologists there were when I started organizing study trips for our study association. And I wanted to find a way to bring those together, mm. but in a way that everyone had direct access. So online was the easiest, easiest way and the most inclusive way that I could think of. So I founded the uh, Association for Students of Egyptology with some friends in 2015 mm. and built a website and a Facebook page. How did you go about that? You, I mean, you go from the idea. I'm sure a lot of people have this idea, like, I wish we had like a platform or an online community or something, yeah. but making it happen. Well, we first wanted to find out if there were people interested in it. Uh, so we started asking around, going to conference. When we were at conferences, asking around, do you think this right. is nice? Are you interested? Do you miss this? And we, I, I found that there was an actual gap, not necessarily for early um, academics, like early career academics, but more bachelors, masters, working up towards PhDs and then the first few years of PhD. Because there are so many of us. Um, who who uh, who are so nice and mm. that w would benefit from presenting more, uh, sharing their research, sharing their ideas, finding out if there are other people working on the same stuff, uh, not having to write your thesis on the exact same thing as someone else, right. which is so awkward in Egyptology because <laughs> it's not a big field. So. You're writing about Egypt too? Shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit, which dynasty are you working in? You know, it's, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Which mummy are you working on? <laughs> so yeah, we just asked around and then we s it started with the website and then... Um, uh, and the Facebook page, and mm. that um, promised to be the mo the easiest way right. because people are on Facebook and but Instagram. But this is this is just among you as researchers, or do you actually have some sort of output towards the public as well? Not from the association itself. Mm. What about you, Byung? Do you use social media to? Uh, I mean, because Facebook is on a, a sort of downturn among yeah. young people, right? <laughs> and uh, I, I didn't expect... You're any calling me old, Rasmus. Yes. And I didn't know, I, I didn't expect anyone here to be using Facebook as uh, a social media for sharing or for using like some sort of communicating science. I mean, everyone experiences like, ex uh, expects Twitter to be like the place, you know, or researcher or academia, EGU or so forth. But you actually use Facebook a lot for, uh, for finding and communicating science, right? So I personally do not use Facebook in terms of uh, disseminating my research uh, findings or outputs. Right. Uh, uh, but uh, I, Facebook has been a great source of, uh, um, you know, looking for uh, finding new papers, new books, not necessarily in my field, uh, uh, but something that I'm generally interested. In. Mm. Uh, and there are loads of uh, own Facebook forums, pages that, professors or postdocs or even pre-docs regularly use and post their, uh, um, share their research uh, outputs, which I found always interesting. Right. So what is, what is, why use Facebook and not just like, you know, go through, um, you know, uh, Google Scholar or whatever, where you were like the place for publications. What's the benefit of Facebook? 
I think for me personally, uh, uh, a Google Scholar, of course I use it. Uh, but uh, for me, Facebook, maybe uh, it feels like more, uh, it's social media, so there's more personal touch to it. Right. You know, there's a, some, even though it's one sentence, two sentence introduction of guys, this is my a book recently that I published, but there's some personality to it. Right. Whereas Google Scholar, I see their face, uh, see their affiliation, and I see their papers, which is fine. But, uh, you know, it's just a more fun way of communicating, I guess. Right. And you also get this, like, I don't know, the serendipity of, like, you stumble across something. You know, it's like, oh, I didn't think to look for this, but someone sort of throws it in my face. Right. It's like an added value thing of it. Exactly. So Google Scholar, you will not be on it just for fun, uh, for uh, for fun, I oh, guess. You no, know. I don't think so. <laughs> Whereas <laughs> the social media, someone. you'll be there on for fun, and then accidentally you will uh, stumble upon this paper. You sh- you know, it turns out it's great. Don't you just hate it when you're trying to have fun and then you end up learning something? In right? The end. So annoying. Yeah. How about you? Do you use any like social media for or yeah? Yeah, I'm 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 old, as you said. Yeah. I'm on Facebook. Uh, I have a Twitter account and an Instagram account, but I rarely use them. But I I am feeling that I should. Hmm. So it's it's going there. Yeah. Right. But because a lot of people that I talk to, and I, I'm sure a lot of people you talk to as well, are sort of feeling out this like, well, I should be on Twitter. Mm. I should be on LinkedIn. I should be on like depending on what sort of discipline you're in, right? But how do you get started? I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I have like 36 followers or something. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I'm not saying I'm not proud of it, but I'm not <laughs> proud of it. So, uh, <laughs> but getting started, I don't know. It's like kind of uh, scary in a way. W- what do you think? Do you get, yeah. I mean, shouldn't we get like any sort of like tips and tricks from our like, pr- probably not like professors because, you know, but someone. I guess in a field that studies so many dead things, it's not, I mean, a lot of my colleagues are on Twitter. I just, I'm just not there yet. Yeah. Do you look at your colleagues on Twitter with envy? Yeah, in a way. Yeah, me too. How, how, 140 characters, right? Yeah, no, it's actually 280 now. 280, oh, that's yeah. already a And with bit. Elon Musk buying it, who knows? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's hope. <laughs> There's hope. <laughs> I think for me, I never, uh, used or tried to use social media as a place where I uh, communicate with the yeah. uh, general public. I think for me personally, that was also because, as you said, you know, while I'm not getting more views or uh, likes or whatever, mm. for me, that was also uh, me being a pre-doctoral researcher and then being a slash pitch to student. I'm not sure whether this, I'm doing this professionally or right. am I a student. So I feel more hesitant to just kind of be in public you know, disseminating everything that I've done, you know, because uh, right. I still feel like I'm in a kind of, is this my professional career? You know, yeah. uh, I'm doing, you know, as I said before, uh, doing conferences because I want to learn, you know, that started like this, you mm. know, it changed now uh, uh, after six years. But uh, I think that kind of uh, helped me from being more active in online uh, space. Right. So you're uncertain about what your role is and what you're actually supposed exactly. to do. Yeah, yeah I can relate. I, I, I'm sure a lot of people can relate. Um, but you know. <coughs> Imposter syndrome. <coughs> Imposter syndrome, yeah. I mean, you you said it. We should have like a bell in this studio because every episode someone mentions imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's really important to talk about. But now, actually, I want to not talk about it. I want to talk about what you guys brought with you. Every episode we ask our guests to bring objects uh, that tell a little story about the current topic that we're talking about. In this episode, we're talking about science communication, of course. And uh, Lonica, we can start with you. You brought with you a pen and a little like notebook. Yes. 
Yes, when I tell people I'm an Egyptologist, it's so cool because people ask me, oh, what what is it? And then I tell them hieroglyphics, Tutankhamun, mummies, pyramids. And uh, oh, uh, Egyptian, ancient Egyptian is, is a language you can actually read? I said, yes, would you like me to write your name in hieroglyphics? And this is the greatest party trick I have. So I figured <laughs> I, should, uh, I could demonstrate if you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. make sure to like write doctorate in hieroglyphics and we will <laughs> upload that uh to our webpage. Sure. Yeah, sure, yeah. Sure. yeah. That yeah. would be super cool. Yeah, sure. Um yeah. I wish we had like party tricks in sociology. It's not like <laughs> really cool being like, hey, I can do a discourse of analysis or like in uh, I don't know, what's your habitual sort of uh space. I don't know. People don't really like, oh yeah, cool. Um I'm just gonna go <laughs> grab a beer. Uh I'll see you later. That's um yeah. <laughs> what about you, Byung? You you brought uh Actually, a bunch of different things. They're like in the same sort of uh, topic, I guess. But it's a tote bag with uh, a couple logos on it, a little bit of text. Uh, it's merch from a conference. So that's, uh, uh, I think it's called Eco Bag that I got at a conference. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, and they mostly put, uh, usually they put that's conference programs. And, you know, uh, and that's, I brought this because uh, I thought about what I could bring that has some meanings uh for my scientific communication. And that was my first conference uh, presentation at a conference at LSE, the Association for the Study of Ethnicity and Nationalism. Uh, this is interesting because uh, three years later, I presented at a conference called Urban Affairs Association. So mm-hmm. the, the topic's been changed. Quite, quite different. <laughs> right. Uh, and that's three years later. And then another three years later, six years, six years later from I started my PhD, I. Uh, our team projects, uh, final project conference, right. uh, Vienna in transition from last year. And this was not a pure scientific Yeah, conference. this is a bottle, a drinking a bottle. A water bottle. Yeah. Uh, that was mostly because so, our research project was about uh, policies, urban policies and policy making in Vienna. And we invited a lot of uh, politicians and activists. Right. So uh, there was different type of communication happening. Um, so, uh, yeah, I thought... I could bring some uh, meaningful souvenirs of my uh, trip, PhD trip. Yeah, <laughs> do you have these like hanging proudly, uh, standing in like a shelf or something, or are they like jammed in a drawer somewhere? Maybe not proud. I mean, I uh, had to go through. I had to entangle all these uh, straps because uh, <laughs> they were just piled up in a box. So it's not your first or your last uh, little. I don't know what you call it, straps, badges, thing, badge, or badge. name tags, conference, bag. conference, conference bags. Badge. Uh, yeah. I mean, I use this bag regularly as a, a grocery shopping bag. Nice. Yeah. Did anyone ever like confront you with it and be like, "Wow, did you really go to this conference?" Uh, not really. No, I was kind of. Uh, I did feel self-conscious walking around with this bag that <laughs> says uh, "Association for the Study of Ethnicity and Nationalism." Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a very um, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, it's Hot not topic. a right. Uh, no, no one had said ever anything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think it's so interesting because like in the beginning, we asked you to uh, also define what you understand as uh, science communication. And you be on you're just like conferences and you can totally tell from what you brought as well. You just like merch, tote bag, badge, <laughs> um, this bottle a while you Lonica, you bring this uh, notebook with the, the hier- I mean, with the hieroglyphics and, you know, a, a very different approach to it in a way. Uh, what? Could you imagine like swapping? How would it be for you if you if you swap? What would be sort of like your notebook and pen, Byung, like the performance element of your communication? And when I do interviews, uh, interviews, face-to-face interviews or participatory observations, that is a must. I yeah. can't go there without a notepad and a pencil or pen. Mm. 
but of course, it would be just mostly note taking. You know, I can't. Uh, there's no need for me to uh, brag about my uh, social science skills to my interview partners. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, you should, man. Try it out yeah. next time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I could, you know, as you said, hanging out with your friends. I could maybe brag about some data that I recently found about nice. Vienna and yeah. say, uh, you know, some numbers. And that always sounds smart if you can. Uh, you know, just say numbers. <laughs> yeah. Well, we could do some interdisciplinary research right. where you explain why the pyramids were built where and yeah, yeah. stuff. Yeah. I can't write your name in hieroglyphics, but I can make a graph representing your age throughout different years and see how it grows. <gasps> nice. Like, wow. Social science. <laughs> Including gap years and everything. Including gap years. Cool. Yeah. Leap years. Yeah. Sorry. Leap years. <laughs> <laughs> Including gap years when you're not studying. Yeah. Um, yeah. I But so... I think it's interesting this like communication towards friends and, and, and people and sort of making your research entertaining. I mean, obviously you have no uh, challenge doing that, Lonica. You're Egypt. Everyone loves it. How do you, <laughs> yeah. How do you make your uh, research sort of more approachable? Why? I'm sure fa friends and family ask you like, what are you really doing? I mean, I know you're at the university, but what are you really doing? Mm -hmm. uh, that has happened actually. Mm -hmm. uh, my dad, uh, my father for many years did not know what I was doing. That is partially because I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, and I think that's something, I can relate. that's something many. And then I thought about it. Then it always annoyed me when my family members said, I have no idea what you're doing. And then I was like, oh, what do you mean? I just explained to you. Now, if I think about it, the problem was me. I yeah. didn't understand what I was doing. And now it's clear. I remember uh, in September, I, made, I met my parents and I said, uh, and I actually did say, now I can tell you what, I was, what I'm doing. And I said it. I said uh, citizen participation and urban renewal and how right. that ah. relates to uh, everyday life. And they said, oh, now I get it. You know, uh, but it was mostly also the communication side problem coming from me, yeah. not, the, not them, you know, uh, not because their knowledge was limited, but my communication skill was limited. <laughs> it's so nice hearing you say this because I have the exact same problem. And sometimes, you know, I feel, you know, I'm the problem but I'm struggling to sort of like fix it. Uh, how did you go about improving the way you communicate your science and making it understandable? I think that was not only uh, improving my communication skills, but mm. uh, you know, how my research has uh, matured in the past years, you know, that's important because if you do not understand your research uh, and if you're not confident about it, uh, you know, person, Mm. Your communication will be affected by it. Therefore, uh, the person who listens will have a hard time understanding it. You right. know? Uh, that's not only in a uh, just kind of everyday situation when you converse with your family members, but also at a conference when you address your topic to someone who's not from your field, from academia. You know. Mm. How is this for you, Lonica? How, how long did it take for you to find your sort of really good? Or did it, did it yeah. happen instantly? People are uh, like, Egypt, I'm sold. Well, for, no, no. Um, I worked my master thesis into an article, and it was only then that I really understood what I did. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is useful, this is useful, this was bullshit, this I can use in this article, this we can just forget about. Yeah. So it, it, it really took me writing my MA thesis to really, I mean, who does not change their title of their of their thesis, right? right? When when they're about to hand it in, it was only then that I realized, right, this is the structure, this is what is recurrent, and this is how I should format it. So it took a while. Hmm. Yeah, but uh, you did it during your masters. Well, 
yeah. I, I guess afterwards, after I finished the thesis and, and, and looked at it again, mm. that's it. I looked at it again and then wanted to turn the interesting parts into an article mm. and, uh, and, and did. But I, I left a lot behind as well. But did you feel, both of you, that this is like once, once it happens for your research, it's like it's happened, something snaps. Yes. Or is it like you have to like think like this again and again, like your next project, next article, next thing, next I conference? I mean, al always, I think. I, I just hope that the moment of realization and the moment that it snaps happens while I'm funded, <laughs> <laughs> that I can write from there. Yeah. And that I don't have to write. Yeah, of course, I will have to write a draft that looks like nothing. And But I'm hoping that the realization comes before I have to hand it in, unlike right. during my MA thesis. Yeah. So for me, I never really had this kind of eureka moment, mm. uh, I must say. I think it depends on how you are doing your PhD, because I did uh, thesis by publication. Right. So I had some general idea of what I want to do. And I, of course, I uh, did a, uh, a faculty presentation. Uh, I already had a proposal. I already had a supervisor. But given that I was in a, uh, a team project, uh, and there I need to do something that was different from my initial research interest yeah mm. and then there was a book publication uh, you know also I had to work in the topic that I was initially not signed up for in, in that sense you know mm. so uh, it was more uh, the five years of more coming everything just kind of coming together and towards the end me having to kind of uh, write up something that connects all these experiences yeah so you yeah you kind of it's not really what you would like to do or what you feel is like your thing but you do it to drag things together for me in the end it kind of uh happened in that way you mm. know uh, as you as i said from my uh this eco back that i brought you know my, my research interest is something different and mm. from my working experience uh, in a team i developed new interests i think it's uh um, um you know for anyone uh, would do that you know develop interests and build new interests yeah and then it happened to me more uh, gradually right and I hear from both of you that this, like, I mean, to no surprise that you start out communicating your research and as you go, you kind of pick up new things, you realize some things, you learn some things, but what are you going to use this for in the future? I mean, you, Byung, you are uh, already sort of planning to go into a postdoc, I know for sure. So the, the, the sort of the jump from, you know, pre-doc to postdoc is pretty obvious that you need you, it's sort of the same skills in a way there. But for you, Alonica, you want to start in working in museums afterwards, right? Yes. H how do you transition from, um, yeah, the communication style in academia to the communication style in museums? That's an excellent question. Um, museum curators are responsible for telling Egypt's story. And by visiting museums, you can already see how other people have done it. And you, of course, have that responsibility because you have the academic background. Mm. So you use all the knowledge that you have to tell Egypt's story to the public. But you also have to imagine what the public wants to see. So it's yeah, it's a it's a two way two way road, of course. Yeah. So imagining what people want to hear and yeah. then trying to enact that imagination. Exactly. Right. And how to tell it to them in a museological context, which is not that easy at all. Mm. But I know, like, if you get grants which you hopefully do when I you're hope, in research. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, usually there's like a little paragraph saying like, you need to communicate your oh, research yeah, sure. as well, right? Yeah, my folder is called Outreach. Outreach, yes. nice. What about you, Byung? What is it called? Do you know? Outreach. It's yeah, outreach. It's Dissem good word. Dissemination. Dissemination. Nice. And that's something different than just uh, conferences, right? 
public outreach. Public cool. outreach, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, good one, good one. Oof, yes. Look at you. You yeah, read yeah. your uh, grant proposals and whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm going to make that. But, I mean, this is when you talk to a lot of researchers that get grants, you know, they're usually not like, oh, yeah, and I can't wait to get to the public outreach. That's my favorite part. For a lot of people, this is just like something you kind of you have to do because that's if you don't do it, you don't get the money, sort of. Yeah, but that makes sense, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, I mean, it definitely does. But how do you approach this? Like, with the uh, because it's a different sort of communication as well do you feel prepared from your experiences as a phd student to do this public outreach thing because i know for me um there's no th thing about public outreach in my phd proposal you know i mean in terms of my phd there was no uh, uh public outreach element uh in terms of the team project there was and then the conference was a result of it you know, we, our team try to make this conference as inclusive as possible, uh, not only about uh, academics, but also, as I said, uh, activists and politicians. Although public outreach is um, you approaching the general public, not only activists or politicians. Um, I think, uh, as you mentioned, you know, a more informal platforms such as uh, social media could be a great uh, way of addressing the general public. Uh, Media, for example, you know, uh, newspapers. Uh, newspapers, yeah, that uh, would be a great um, uh, source of uh, public outreach, I think. Right. Did any of you watch the Don't Look Up? Or Yes, I have. Yeah. Not yet. No. But, I mean, I'm not going to spoil this too much to either you or our listeners, but science communication is a big part in that. <laughs> and I can tell you this much. There's a scientist in there, and he doesn't have any media training. Yeah, yeah. And then he's, like, interviewed by this talk show, and it just doesn't necessarily go that well how do you feel about handling media i mean you're in a podcast now but you're among friends so i mean we're also academics but how do you feel about communicating through media is that scary or exciting or a little bit of both or what do you think both um media usually has an agenda you so, think so yes um if yeah depending on what they want sure. i can tell them what they want to hear but i have to figure it out first i guess how do you adapt to that? I think, I mean, of course, I've never done a, uh, a media interview. Uh, I'm not that eligible yet, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think if I think about it, uh, public outreach through media sounds more me communicating, me saying something. You know, uh, the, of course, as you said, uh, the reporter would write in a way that she wants. Uh, mm -hmm. Fine, it's media. I think... If I think about it, uh, communication with general public, I think if I need to stand at a talk, conference, group, uh, workshop, and, and so on, and need to address to regular regular folks uh, who right. doesn't have an academic background, I think that sounds a lot more difficult because uh, you need to make what all the academic knowledge that you have accumulated, you need to put them in a most precise and simple way that it is, as you said before, uh, how would you explain that to a kid? Mm. <laughs> Maybe, you know, uh, I don't probably uh, have to uh, talk about this to a kid, but, you know, uh, th I think that's the most difficult part of uh, framing your research in a way that is easily accessible, mm. the knowledge of it. All right. We're going to start rounding up, but before we do that, I really want to like hear you give, compared to at least me, you have like a lot of experience, and I guess that would also mean, uh, compared to a lot of our listeners, you have a lot of experience, and I want to like dig a little bit into that. What would be like your one recommendation or tip to our listeners, early stage researchers, how to do um, science communication and how to approach it? I think uh, 
from my experience, everyone has a different interest, you know, uh, as you know, uh, people who are listening to this podcast would have different scientific backgrounds, too. So uh, it'd be very different uh, what they can expect and what can get from conferences. I think uh, uh, at an early age on, I think an early stage on, uh, I would say, uh, uh, you know, uh, apply to talk at a conference uh, and then see how other people are doing. Uh, don't feel so... Uh, uh, let down by your uh, inexperience as I have been before. Uh, I think that's having always kind of positive approach to it. That's uh, an open, uh, positive, also confidence. That's very important. Yeah. Right. I mean, as, as you mentioned as well with this imposter syndrome, you know, it's important to remember that you're not an imposter. You're actually here for a reason. Yes. And it's because of your merits exactly. and your skills. Yeah. Uh, so I think we we nailed it the, off the checklist imposter <laughs> syndrome <laughs> i think it's important to focus on public speaking yeah whatever forum you're you're using whether you're speaking to your peers that are very very specialized and working on similar topics or at a student conference or giving a lecture at a museum to a more general audience it is so important that you are able to confidently express your thoughts and your feelings you might be very wrong but at least you're conveying what you're doing and the more you do this, the better you become at it and also at doing your research. Because right. if you don't present, you'll never get feedback. And feedback is so important. And being wrong is part of the learning exactly. process. Exactly. Absolutely. It's very important to be wrong sometimes. Right. Okay. I want to thank you both so much for being our guests here today. Uh, this has been the third episode of Doctorate about science communication. This episode was written and produced by Max Brockhaus, Martin Pokorny, Bernd Ström, and me, your host, Rasmus Waldman. Editing and technical work was by Martin Pokorny, and Doctorate is brought to you by the Doctoral School of Historical and Cultural Studies and the Vienna Doctoral School of Social Sciences. It is created and produced by the School Fellows. Mm-hmm.